Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. because we're here. You might recall over Veterans Day, I spoke with Melissa Fitzgerald, who works with addiction courts and our returning troops, and it hit me very personally. Thanks to Melissa, I've been introduced to Anthony and Joe Russo, who legions of Avengers fans simply know them as the Russo Brothers. Infused into the superhero films the brothers make are themes of honor, courage, and patriotism. So it shouldn't come as a shock that their new film, Cherry, tackles the all-too-real issues of men and women when they return home. Anthony, Joe, welcome to Superman's Not Coming. Thank you for this film. I've seen it. It's fantastic. And I'm so excited to have this chance to talk with you today. Thank you. We're really, really appreciative to be here and and, um, grateful to have an opportunity to talk about this movie, which we know is is personal to you, but also very, very personal to us as well um, about a subject that... um, that it's home, uh, very close to home for us. Um, I've seen the film and, you know, you'll hear my paper rattling over here. I just had to write so many things down. It was amazing. And I want to encourage everybody I know to watch it. The elements were, were very broad. It was, you could feel the frustration. There was immense emotion. Um, I'm a military mom, and watching the scenes of, of of this young young boy coming back, the night terrors, uh, looking at rage, looking at addiction, uh, I fell into why our youth can be full, just so full of despair. Uh, so many elements came out in this film, and. Knowing who you are, and I'm, I, I want to know, and you said this was so personal to you, what did inspire you to do this film? It is intense. It is insightful. I sat on the edge of my seat. I cried. I could feel the emotions coming up. It, it's a war movie. It's a love movie. It can be a movie about addictions. It wakes us up to PTSD. How and why did you make this film? It's incredible. And I think I think we would say that our children inspired us to make this because, you know, we we can get into much deeper and larger conversations regarding um, the, the veterans and PTSD component of the film. But in general, we are facing you know a, a, a global pandemic. But we have had an epidemic in this country that has been an invisible war for well over 20 years, which is the war against opiates. And um, growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, the industrial Midwest is gripped in an existential blight that really fuels that crisis. There are a lot of people there 
who feel very little forward momentum. And Gen Z in particular, I think, is a generation that feels as if they have a lack of momentum in their lives, that they may not outperform their parents financially. And, you know, and what is the state of the country? Everything trends, right? Stocks trend, things go up and they go down, you know, and, and America to a certain extent could be perceived as being in a, in a down cycle. And, um, and it's tough for them to see a future that has positivity in it. And one thing that's sort of a unifying factor, I think, whether you're a veteran or whether you're, you're struggling with addiction or whether you're a family member or someone struggling with addiction or whether you've lived in this country for the past, you know, five years, we're all traumatized. We're traumatized on a daily basis. And I think technology is supercharging trauma for people. Uh, and, um, and we're going to have an epidemic of trauma that's going to fuel this epidemic of opiates. And, you know, we're not going to walk out of this pandemic unscathed. There's going to be years of psychological repercussions that we all have to deal with. And what's most important to us, and what we really want this, this movie to illustrate is that, uh, you know, the solve is not simply putting a pill in your mouth that has been scientifically engineered to make you addicted to it in order for people to make lots and lots of money. And, you know, that's, that's so very true because we all are going through uh, here in America and globally, this pandemic and, and the isolation that so many of us have felt and talking about addictions, we're seeing them on the increase. People are drinking more. People are fearful. We are away from each other. We need that human element. And, and one thing that I really saw in the film that you hit upon is the underlying current of whether it's emotions or mental health or what's leading to addictions or, um, uh, you know, poverty is now before us like i think we've never seen so the timing of cherry is very unique and um we are experiencing that together and and, and story making and filmmaking is such an incredible way for us to to be able to come into that world it's oftentimes something we don't want to face or we don't want to talk about that helps open up the conversation that you've truly done that and in making it do you see is there an undercurrent that that we haven't as a society been paying attention to of emotions or mental health or, or, or poverty that we've just been pushing aside. I think you touched on something there that like was, was a strong motivation for us to make the movie is that, you know, and again, things like PTSD, things like addiction, they often get stigmatized (laughs) and people don't like to talk about them. They're uncomfortable talking about them. People who suffer from the, from those conditions, don't want to talk about them. Loved ones and friends of those people find it hard to talk about their difficult experiences dealing with it. So part of what, you know, part of the motivation to make the movie, our primary motivation was, of course, we were, you know, like many people, we were dealing with loved ones who were struggling with addiction and had even died from addiction. So that's a very strong motivator. But the reason why we thought this movie could help not only ourselves personally, but also perhaps others is that, you know, when you go into a movie theater, you watch a story about different people who are different than you. And sometimes that sort of allows you to sort of process experiences that you may be having in your own life. 
but it's safer for you to sort of go there and access those emotions and ideas because it's a, it's fictional and it's about somebody else on a movie screen. Um, but at the same time, it's allowing you to open up to sort of parts of yourself that you've been struggling with. And I think that's a really helpful part of what art can do, what storytelling can do, what movies can do. And hopefully this movie can sort of play a part in, in that process for some people, you know, help, help make the, these issues less stigmatized, help make the experience of communicating about them a little easier. Um, that's one of our big hopes. And, and you've done that so effectively and you, you bring up a great point. And uh, Aaron Brockovich and I'm known for the film Aaron Brockovich. And one thing that I found is interesting is, is how art can help you in the, the art of filmmaking and storytelling to come out of yourself and look at something that you can relate to that oftentimes we don't want to talk about, whether it's shameful or we're afraid or we think we're going to be judged or labeled or perceived something. And we just keep pushing all of that down. And when I first saw the film Aaron Brockovich in the theaters, I sat in a corner by myself and I was intrigued listening to comments as people left. They're like, gosh, do you think that's going on somewhere where we live? I'm like, oh, yeah. So, see, they, they woke up to something. Or someone's saying, gosh, you know, um, I, I, I wish I could do what she did. But you know what? She did it. I could do it. And so I love the idea how art not only inspires us, but allows us an opportunity to almost step out of ourselves for a minute to see what's on the screen, but in the safety, as you said, Anthony, in our own home, to allow ourselves to have that conversation about, oh my gosh, I've done that, or what could I do? How could I help? I could be that. All of those emotions are come to life, and it did for me and Cherry, and I, I, I'm just going to keep hitting on this. I, I want to thank you for for doing this. And it took courage to put it out there because it's so real. It's happening that that we can wake up to it once and for all and have this conversation. But, and, and, and why is it we don't want to have this conversation? I know it's a, it's a great question. And, you know, this is... Look, it's been stigmatized, unfortunately. And, and that's part of the mission here is that we, we have to understand collectively that we're dealing with a chronic disease and people who have a chronic disease and that, you know, relapse is part of the recovery. And, you know, we have, here's the most disturbing part of it for us is that, you know, we have, uh, um, certainly, as you mentioned, there there is... Um, there's many epidemics going on. Another one is a mental health issue and being isolated is certainly not helping that social media is certainly not helping that technology and the way it distances you is certainly not helping that. But one thing that the current administration can do is we have unchecked pharmaceutical companies that are instigating this crisis. They're making it worse, right? Is that, you know, the, the, the drugs are becoming stronger and they're becoming cheaper on the streets. And, you know, when you're stuck with a feeling of malaise, with you're stuck with a lack of, of um, direction in your life, you know, $20 makes you feel better, but that $20, once you put that pill in your mouth is going to cost you your life or the rest of your life as you struggle to free yourself from it. That that's the critical problem here is that you can, 
you know, you can be uh, anywhere on the spectrum of, of dealing with mental health or depression issues. You, you can be light on those issues. You could be long on those issues. You cannot have those issues at all. But when you put that pill in your mouth, you have now bought yourself an incredibly difficult road to recovery. So I think we have to work on stopping the meds and then we have to work on destigmatizing the approach to recovery. It's, it, it's really, it's so true. And, um, you know, I mentioned to you, uh, I'm, I'm a military mom and I, and I think this is just a moment where I, I, a couple of things come to my mind in having a really long conversation with my son. Um, and, and we've dealt, we've dealt with these issues. We've dealt with the pills, the opiate, the, the PTSD, um, and it can be really uncomfortable. And you said something that struck with me that made my son say, you know, about the pharmaceutical companies and the money that they make and the illusion that money really is, but that we have to learn our values aren't for sale and where we've lost that. And talking to Matt, he wanted me to say something to you about making the film Cherry and from the perspective of because this is a young boy and, and we said it's, it can be a love movie, a war movie, who goes into the army and Matthew has suffered through everything. I watched this film going, Oh my gosh, this is my son. I, I just couldn't believe it. And um, he said, you know, army values is selfless service and, and they go by an acronym L D R S H P leadership, loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. And he wanted to, for me to share to you that he thanks you because the Russo brothers are in line with those values. And as a soldier, he wanted to thank you and respects what you've done, that you represent that leadership. Well, that, that's one of the more... One of the more powerful things we've heard in our career. So please thank him for us. Um, and it, it, you know, we have, yeah. we, while we, Ant and I have not had um, uh, the firsthand experience that you both have had with PTSD, uh, we certainly have had experience with trauma and we certainly have had experience with opiates with, within our family and amongst our friends. We have lost family members and we have lost friends. We've stood over their graves because of opiates. And um, um, it's a, you know, it's a profoundly uh, disturbing issue to us. And the fact that it, it does seem to be a quiet conversation that happens. And I think it's because it makes a lot of people uncomfortable, but it needs to become a louder conversation. One thing that we did with this film that um, was critically important to us and critically important to Tom Holland uh, and to Sierra Bravo, the two stars of the film, was to be as accurate in our portrayal of PTSD as possible. So Tom spent a lot of time talking to veterans who suffer from PTSD, um, trying to capture a level of detail that he, that we had felt had not been seen on screen before so that people could process this and go through it. Because as you said earlier, media can be a very powerful tool. tool. It can be a destructive tool or it can be a positive tool. And when you can have catharsis watching a story 
that that can be incredibly powerful and it can release things inside of you. It can also be a story that you can revisit again and again in your life that hopefully can inspire you to have catharsis or to make changes or to feel like at the very least you aren't going through this alone and that people are aware of your problems and that people are documenting those issues uh, in a way that they're trying to bring attention to them and and help in the smallest way possible. And I think that's really probably the most important conversation that, you know, that we've found in being filmmakers over the last two and a half decades and moving forward is that is the presence of media in our lives and how it can influence us positively or negatively. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, and, and we've been researching that quite a bit as filmmakers. We're working on a project about Cambridge Analytica, you know, which was really a data analytics firm that sort of introduced this, you know, this, uh, this, you know, a new style of, um, of politics, you know, that, uh, that, that involves uh, micro-targeting people via social media. Uh, and, and really, you could trace back, the, you know, this sort of rampant misinformation campaign that's going on throughout the world to um, companies like Cambridge Analytica. So I found it fascinating when, um, and I know we're talking about a lot of issues here, but Tim Cook, I don't know if you saw what he said earlier this week about Facebook, but I found it really profound. And it kind of, it, it all it's all circling itself, right? It's all part of this cycle that we're dealing with. And if you don't mind, I just want to read what he said, because I think it's really compelling. Please do. He said, technology does not need vast troves of personal data stitched together across dozens of websites and apps in order to succeed. Advertising existed and thrived for decades without it. And we're here today because the path of least resistance is rarely the path of wisdom. The business is built on misleading users, on data exploitation, on choices that are no choices at all, then it does not deserve our praise. It deserves reform. We should not look away from the bigger picture in a moment of rampant disinformation and conspiracy theories juiced by algorithms. We can no longer turn a blind eye to a theory of technology that says all engagement is good engagement. The longer, the better, and with the goal of collecting as much data as possible. Too many are still asking the question, how much can we get away with? When they need to be asking the question, what are the consequences? What are the consequences of prioritizing conspiracy theories and violent incitement simply because of the high rates of engagement? What are the consequences of of not just tolerating, but rewarding content that undermines public trust and life-saving vaccinations? What are the consequences seeing thousands of users joining extremist groups and then perpetuating an algorithm that recommends even more. It is a long past time to stop pretending that this approach doesn't come with a cost of polarization of lost trust. And yes, of violence, a social dilemma cannot be allowed to become a social catastrophe. I think it's important. An identification of the problem with current technology, as I've heard in the last few years, And, and it's profound. Uh, um, and you could argue that, you know, he has his own motivations for saying it, but that doesn't invalidate the truth behind what he said. And I think that that, you know, that is critically important to understand that we are, you know, one other critical aspect of, um, of, of Cherry is that the movie is about empathy. And we are Absolutely. dehumanizing each other, we're dehumanizing each other, and we're otherizing one another in a way that we haven't, we've never seen in this country. You know, it's it's almost like rabid fan bases of sports teams who will punch each other 
you know, um, in a stadium just because they're wearing different jerseys. You know, we, we've lost this cultivated dialogue that the country mm-hmm. is built on, right? Compromise, um, um, wisdom, uh, you know, self-awareness. It's all seemed to have gone out the window with the advent of social media. And we think that this is a, a critical part of, uh, of, you know, this is fueling the opioid crisis in a lot of ways. This, 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 ice, this sense of isolation, the sense of anger, the sense of hate. Uh, and, and this lack of support from one another as human beings. Absolutely. And empathy is, is a, such a big word. Um, you know, Matthew and I talked about, and, and again, this is his perspective. And again, the, the film Cherry, there is a military component and, and there are many other components to it. And from his perspective as that military person, he said he feels like society is gaslighting veterans that are coming home and he and he, I, I, I use his words and I, I was struck by it he said it's a tactic although it's unintentional but it's because the other person can't get past their own egos and that turns into a me versus you and it becomes a competition and then we have no empathy yeah that's really that's really amazing that he, he would say that and I think that if you look at you know, there, there's a couple, I think military vets and, and um, uh, you know, folks who, and it's interesting that he would say that about sort of coming home and feeling like he's being gaslighted because there's a, there's a lack of responsibility on our part to take care of the people who are fighting for our freedom on a daily basis. And that is disgusting and disturbing. But I think it's all wrapped into all of these things that we're talking about. It is. It's a complicated issue. Yes, if you send someone off to war, 2.6 million vets of Operation Enduring Freedom and Operation Iraqi Freedom, over half of them uh, face either either physical or mental health issues stemming from their service. Over half. That is, yeah. Yeah, that is a million and a half people that we have sent off to war coming home. They need to be supported. They need to be treated correctly. And they're not receiving that because for some reason, we, we, we don't want to address that issue. It seems painful to us that people would have to suffer so that I could en- enjoy the freedoms that I have every day. And, and you know, it, it's tragic that we, you know, we can't, um, we can't accept, you know, the, the harder aspects of what is required to be an American. Um, and, uh, and I, I think that, um, you know, it, this is a, as some of these noisier conversations um, dissipate, hopefully over the next year or two, mm-hmm. we can start to have more substantive conversations and talk, stop talking about fictions and misinformation and start talking about reality and the yeah. things that are, are really affecting us on a daily basis and affecting veterans on a daily basis, affecting folks with addiction issues on a daily basis. You know, Aaron, like a lot of the things we're talking about, about now, it sort of makes me go back to um, that, that statement your son wrote uh, to us and, and thinking about this idea of like, of service and selflessness. And I, I do believe that like we've, we've always t- taken our responsibility as storytellers very seriously because storytelling was so important to us growing up. It was essential. You know, we grew up 
in a big Italian American family where we were used to like sitting around the dinner table with, you know, the huge extended family listening to stories and telling stories ourselves. And that evolved into a passion for film. And there's something I think, you know, Joe and I are acutely aware of because we work as a team, we've been very, the dynamic between us and our collaboration, we've been very aware of this idea that like together we can create something that's greater than us. And it's not simply a one plus one equals two kind of an idea. It's a one plus one equals three idea for us. And that's been a sort of a basis of how we've approached what we do. And I think there is a sense of service and there's a sense of, there's an idea that we are servicing something larger than ourselves. And I think that that part of it, you know, is, I I think that theme kind of threads through a lot of these issues that we've been talking about, the sort of understanding that there is something larger than all of us that we have to find a way, a way to access and serve. You're 100% right. And I was giggling at one plus one equals two. I talk about that. Um, uh, I have a program, Logic, Leverage, Loyalty, Love. Logic is our common sense. Uh, We feel it. We know it in our gut. We oftentimes just can't get there or trust it or believe it because we don't trust or believe in ourselves. And leverage is what you said about one plus one equals two. People think, oh, you're trying to leverage money or this. It has a bad idea. But no, I learned in my own communities, mathematically, one plus one equals two. But when in principle, one plus one actually equals three, five, 10, 20, 100, 500, 1,000 and more. And that's where this massive empowerment comes together with the collective. And I worry about us, like you worry about the the opiate addictions, is our disconnection from this environment. I have always felt that when we have a war upon nature, which we have, which we have done, we acquired a very fateful power to alter and destroy nature. In turn, what we are doing is we've destroyed ourselves. We are losing ourselves. And the way to find ourselves coming back again is through what you said. One plus one mathematically equals two, but in the power of leverage and the collective, that principle of one plus one equals millions of us and more and it is awe inspiring and i often feel like i'm going to break out in a song i am you you or me we are all together from the beatles we are we all think we're so different and separate but you know what we are all in this together and and cherry provided an element for that and i'll come back to the film and talking about love yeah i i uh, yeah, I'm a 60-year-old now, a grandmother of four, and I, I've spent my entire career in the community, and I, we've come, we're coming from a place of hate right now. I so worry about all of us, whether we've been cast aside, pushed aside, we feel oppressed, or we've been suppressed, or we've lost ourselves, and we'll find it again through conversations like this, films like Cherry, getting back to ourselves and not waking. We have to ask ourselves, why do we wake up every day and and participate in what has really become a difficult world? It's not born of hate. It's born of love, and that love is love of self love of family, love of the, the future, uh, love of work, you, love of country, love of the environment, love of our freedom, love of our powers of choosing and, and how we get back to that. 
and this conversation, your film, Cherry, we have been smacked down and shut down. And I worry we're so busy beating ourselves up for what we've done in the past. We're so busy looking to the future and, and how we're going to get to that golden pot that we've missed something right in this very present about us, about the collective and how we work together. Uh, my son again struck me. He thinks of the human body as uh, he wanted to talk about politics, but he sees it as the three branches of government and it's broken. And if you break your right leg, you can't walk, right? It has to be, they work together and come together, right, left, right, left. And a side is broken and it won't be fixed if we don't find that collective and come back together and make one plus one doesn't just equal two. One plus one is going to equal all of us and more. It's amazing. Amazingly said like this is, and I, I think you touched on this earlier. Part of the issue is we have a hard time embracing the darker aspects uh, and talking about them honestly with each other. Uh, and, and, and you're right. Like that's the, that dehumanization is creating a polarization and it's, it, we're not having thoughtful conversations. We're having shouting matches and there are echo chambers. The other problems we have with social media is that it's a, you know, it's an echo chamber and, uh, um, it, it, you can go down a rabbit hole because of these algorithms that, that he's talking about that just reinforce, you know, either isolating you from other information that could help change your mind or reinforce extremist ideas that you have um, uh, because you're only living in a world that, that, that bounces those back at you, you know, and in, in a way you stop living in reality because you're disconnected from it. So you can yeah. engage with the screen in front of you and it can create your own reality. We've, Anthony, I've talked about this a lot, like there, that we're moving towards emotional truth rather than empirical truth, right? Because I want to, I feel it and I want to believe it's true. I'm going to make it true. Irrespective yeah. of whether it is like physically empirically true or not. And, and I think you know, we, there's a there's a justification that's been swirling for the last few years for emotional truth for people. So they feel justified in having those emotional truths in the face of facts, right? In the face of science, in the face of any sort of, you know, legitimate metric that we have for, you know, what how reality should be defined. That is so dangerous. It is so dangerous. And I think it ties into everything we're talking about from like, your political feelings about, you know, veteran coming home with issues. I was talking about this earlier. You know, some people can't embrace the, the darker aspects of that, that we have to take care of these people. Some people are political about it. Well, I didn't agree with those. Yeah, but irrespective of the fact that you didn't agree with, you know, those operations, you know, these people are human beings who need care. Yeah. They need care and they need love, you know, and, and so you can't, you can't um, you can't draw a line in the sand because when you start drawing lines, you know you're going to wind up in a box in the corner over here, and someone else can be a box in the corner over there. And you said this: the right, left, and walking back and forth. You know the pe- the pendulum needs to swing with proper balance. It it doesn't need to swing 
from the far, far left to the far, far right, because that's when we'll, we'll topple and fall over, I believe, you know. Um, Emotions are hard to understand. I'm visual. I'm a dyslexic and I need to see things. For me, seeing is understanding, believing, touching, feeling. That's my entire learning experience. It's difficult for us to understand emotions because we can't see them. It oftentimes isn't something tangible for people, but these emotions are, are who we are. Like you said, uh, as, a, as a human, um, we need the, the touch, the feel, but these emotions are difficult for even us to understand why you can feel them. You can't always see them, and then therefore they're not identifiable. Yeah, and it's so true. And we can't have a functioning society ruled by emotion because emotion is personal, and it, it doesn't have boundaries that are definable by a collective, right? We keep talking about collectives. That's why you need, you know, look, when we were kids, you would walk outside and there'd be a newspaper on the porch and it would say on the headline, three people died to fire. Then you turn on the six o'clock news and it would tell you three people died in a fire and that it was accidental and, you know, it was gas, gas leak or, you know, mm-hmm. there was a collective truth that everyone understood from the same news sources that were consistent and empirical. Now you can go on the internet and go to any source you want, legitimate or illegitimate, and be told whatever you want to be told about that fire. Well, those three people work for the CIA or those three people were QAnon or those three people were... And you can, you can believe whatever you want to believe. But a society can't function based on emotional truth because there are no uh, collective boundaries or guideposts for, for how we're going to function and for what we agree is, is reality. That's what is so disturbing. And, that, you know, we're going down a really deep rabbit hole here about philosophy, but ultimately that's what Cherry is about. And that's what we see in the world is that this is, you know, the... I don't want to ruin this for people who haven't seen it. So block your ears if you haven't seen the film. The movie ends with hope, right? The movie doesn't end with tragedy. There is tragedy in the film, and the character suffers a lot. He loses 15 years of his life. He loses a life cycle because of choices that he makes um, at a time in his life when he doesn't have the experience to make those choices, right? So, you know, uh, um, his girlfriend rejects him. Uh, um, so, you know, he makes a choice to, to go on a journey and that journey leads him to um, um, self-medicating, you know, because he can't find help for his issues. Uh, and then he becomes a criminal and then he gets incarcerated and you know, he, he finds redemption. But he does it on his own. He doesn't do it without, he doesn't do it with the help of, of society. Um, so that's how this leads to these, these, these bigger conversations that we think mm-hmm. are really important um, that have to do with uh, uh, where we are uh, uh, in, our, in, our, you know, in our cycle of humanity, where we are collectively as a country, you know, where we are with technology, where we are with drugs, where we are with veterans, where we are with trauma. They're all wrapped together and they are. instigating one another. And that's exactly uh, what Cherry did. And it uh, opened up so much for me. You know, I talked about Superman's not coming and not to let your fans know that. But uh, it's not meant to be scary because sometimes, you know, we need to look no further for that hero other than the man in the mirror. And we need to believe in ourselves again. And, and, And we can make that change. 
Yeah, I was just going to ask you, you know, I know I know a lot of your co- guests comment on the title of your show, and I love it, too. It's a, when did, how did it come to you, Superman's Not Coming? Through, through my work uh, and working with these communities. And, uh, um, you know, they would always have expectations, whether it be there's, you know, a, a local agency, you know, a state agency or something that was going to come in and magically change the pollution issues that they were dealing with. And I've watched them over and over again when that one community member, and I, I'm going to tell you something, 99.99% of the time, it's a pissed off mom i'm telling you when you get the pissed off moms together just get out of the way because they're going to get something done but they they believe and know in what they're seeing and experiencing and they stay with it they, they won't let the outside source go oh you're crazy you're just being a crazy mother. You can't really see that. That's not really happening. They're very rooted in that. And then they start bringing in the collective and they themselves make the change by extending their hand to their neighbor, working with their neighbor, one neighbor talking to another neighbor. Then they get collective as a group. Then they move into city council and bit by bit, they start building within their own community the ability to Get information out there, knowledge is power, what they're experiencing, and how at that microscopic level they can change something. And they have taught me that Superman isn't coming because we're here. We can take action. And I think of this as if every one of us did that as the individual and believed in in ourselves who we are and that experience and reached out. We don't talk to our neighbors anymore. You know, we talk about social media and I, I don't know if that's isolated us in a way where we're at home and we think we, you know, we can get on something and learn something. We're not out. We're not on the ground. I always call it boots on the ground and experiencing each other and bringing the collective of your community together. We used to do that. We don't anymore. But if we did that across this, I think of it this way. If every single individual and community did that in every single town, neighborhood, city council, and every single state in the United States and lit that up across the board, we'd actually learn something, hear each other, see each other, have that experience with each other, feel the power of the collective and make change. And so it's the people they're out there everywhere. It, you talked about that, Joe. At, at the end, there is hope. There's hope when you find yourself, when you forgive yourself. We are all flawed. We are humans. And I think there's this idea and expectations that we can't be any of that. But that is the beauty of us. When I went and did started my work in Hinckley, I, I have no reason to have done this. Um, Everyone would say to me, you're not a doctor, you're not a lawyer, you're not a scientist, you're not the politician, you're not this or that. It's like, what, you have to be this or that? I said, are you kidding me? I don't have to be any of that to be a human. And I think we've forgotten to be human. And to be human is flawed. And we don't like to embrace our shortcomings. I wish we would embrace those vulnerabilities and look about them and talk about them and forgive ourselves and love ourselves for being human flaws and all and through those flaws in my work in these communities and like in your film cherry and in the end 
you realize the power of yourself and our flaws can in hindsight be our greatest gifts and there is hope and these people these communities maybe for both of you as filmmakers and doing cherry you realize and you hit upon another really powerful word there is hope and that hope it comes from just the support and love just of of yourself and embracing we're not perfect and and there's this idea i think <laughs> that we're supposed to be yeah and you bring up this great point about absolutism right like we are flawed we're all flawed and we have to embrace those flaws and celebrate them and then work to help each other through them um uh, and and you know one of the other problems we're having right now is that everything is absolutes everything is is um, mm-hmm. you're right like cancel culture when you look it, it, there's great value in pointing out grievances uh, against um uh, women or minorities or you know people that traditionally are in in in, in power who you know seem to escape uh, indictment however if you cancel them and remove them then you're removing the chance for redemption. And if you remove the chance for redemption, now you're playing in absolutes and absolutes create antagonists because they have no other option but to be your antagonist. And we have to do away with this notion, again, of me versus you, us versus them. You have to look at another way, a more productive way of dealing with these issues and talking about our flaws and trying to help people through those flaws. Um, I think, uh, um, uh, you know, that that's another tragic aspect of, of where we are as a country uh, that is contributive to the cycle that we're in or the spin cycle that we're in. And, and um, um, until we start, as you say, identifying these things and talking about them honestly with one another, we're not going to stop them. We just aren't. Well, and that's the beauty, again, I'm with, jumping right on the podcast today, Cherry. Um, you, you're bringing that home for us. And, and in a way, and I'm sharing through your own personal experiences um, as filmmakers. And, and it does. See, it takes courage. You've been so personally affected by, by this addiction. And, and again, maybe um, opening that conversation uh, makes it more safe. Both you and Anthony, um, this conversation today, for others to talk about it. Well, and what's interesting too about that is that, you know, we're using an actor like Tom Holland, who is incredibly likable, has a huge fan base and, you know, really reaches into Gen Z. Cause this is, this movie was engineered to appeal to uh, that generation on a deep level because they process media in a very different way than we do. They're growing up very, very differently than any generation prior to them. The way they consume media, the way they consume the segregated information, the volumes at which they consume it, Instagram, TikTok, it comes at them at lightning speed and they process very differently than we do. So there's a stylization to the movie that, as I said, has been engineered to appeal to them um, because we are trying to reach them. Because if you can motivate a generation or you can create something that they can collectively talk about, especially using a, 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 an, a an actor as good as and as popular as Tom Holland, um, uh, you're bringing- he was fabulous. The actors were fabulous. He was fabulous. 
And his commitment to the role, as I said, with vets, but also with recovering addicts, he had um, uh, um, many, many conversations with vets with PTSD and with recovering addicts who were vets or not vets, but just talking about the level of detail, what, what does it make you feel like? Why do you do it? When do you do it? You know, what, what motivates you to do it? Um, uh, and, and what's your behavior like when you do it? And what are, you know, what did you suffer through that whole section of when he returns home um, um, from the, from the war uh, and he's getting night terrors and all, all the stuff he's going through. Uh, comes from both the book, but also uh, very detailed conversations with veterans about um, um, their experience. And part of the, you know, this is like, this is where issues are complicated, right? Vets who, vets who come home from service or vets who are serving the country. um, uh, There was a 2018 survey. And I think this is important to talk about found that, that vets are more engaged in their country than people who are not vets. Right. And they're more likely to vote. They're more likely to volunteer. They're more likely to donate and they're more likely to engage in public service. So they strengthen our communities. Right. They're instilled with values that inspire us all to do better values that we're talking about that I think we've all lost honor, duty, leadership, respect, courage, all the values that are anemic right now that are in short supply. And, And, you know, what we learned talking to those veterans is that uh, we feel that it's our national duty to ensure that these people are properly cared for when they return home. And, and uh, um, if they're, especially if they're struggling to re-engage with life on the home front, you know, as, as one vet said to us, they teach you how to kill, but they don't teach you how to come home. Right. And that is critical. That is a fundamental, um, um, part of my French fuck up on the part oh, of the government. I love you even more. You dropped right. an F bomb. Oh, that's my job. That is my thing. <laughs> Where have you been? <laughs> that that is a again. That's just part of the the problems that we're not addressing or talking about. Honestly, is that you know, government's doing one part of the job, but they're not doing the other part, right? And, and veteran services aren't enough. And a lot of times they're, they're woefully understaffed, uh, you know, um, you know, and not, not in a position to do the, to administer the level of care that they need to administer. And so we spend enough money to send everyone to war, but we don't spend enough money to bring them home properly. And, and, you know, that, that's a, that's also a part of what uh, um, is behind Cherry or an issue that's, we're trying to explore in this film is, is, you know, again, how do we care for each other as human beings when we, especially when we ask people to do things that we're not doing ourselves, but bring value to us, great value to us. Um, Right. And and that's the tragedy of it. Yeah. Everything we're talking about uh, that dawns. I mean, I was, I watched uh, last Christmas (laughs) the other night, but I, it, something was said that it, I, it's it's the time we're in that we're looking at this, but you know, giving to others it, it is in fact what makes us happy. 
And I think that's so important. I could have had this entire conversation just on words of emotion and being human and flaws and our self-esteem and and everything. And it, it does feel like we're going down a rabbit hole sometimes having this deep conversation, but but we're all there. And I think that it's more uplifting to, for me, it's always better out than in and just stuff gets stuck in and pushed further and further down. Because when we have these conversations, it feels like there's great acceptance, great understanding, great tolerance, great patience, great kindness. It's out there for all of us. And um, so I could have this conversation with you forever, especially now that you dropped the F-bomb, like I said. And and I I said... I said, <laughs> welcome to Kansas. I grew up in the Midwest in a way that so, but uh, Anthony, what I had said earlier, and I don't know if your mic was working, you chimed in just when I was getting ready to say, is there a more talkative versus less talkative brother? What do you think? Oh, well, I would definitely think there is a talkative one. <laughs> yes. I, I'm intrigued with, and want to know about both of you. And I know our time is probably coming to an end and you have so much to do, but um, it, it's, it's interesting for all of us. You have so many fans, you have great insight. How is it working together as, as brothers? Does, you know, one play off another or have, are your visions the same or, or do you counterbalance each other? You know, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, we do we, we do certainly have a, a, a depth of shared experience with one another, both life experience and we basically, you know, our, our, our love of film was largely developed together, watching movies together as kids with our family, then between ourselves and talking about film. I mean, Joe and I really learned how to make films by to get by re- reading books and talking to one another about it. Um, that was our process. So we have a really strong shared experience with one another, but at the same time, we have, we're certainly two individuals and different people. So I think, you know, our, our partnership and our collaboration is a mix of both a strong base where we can really connect with one another, another and understand where one another is coming from. While at the same time, we can sort of push each other in ways uh, and, and bring one another to places that we couldn't get to on our own. And so I think it's, that's, that's what excites us about the collaboration is we like getting pushed out of our comfort zone by one another. You know, and again, we were comfortable disagreeing with one another. We disagreed with one another our whole lives. So it's like, you know, that part of the process is not threatening to us. Um, so yeah, it's good. It's, it's just, you know, it's hard for us to uh, completely analyze it. Cause I think at the end of the day, it just, there's something natural about it for us, and, and, which is why it works. But but certainly these dynamics are at play in the relationship for sure. And, and that relationship shows so many of us. You just said, you know, we can agree to disagree, but you're stronger together. And um, it's really important because, again, you have such a ginormous fan base. It's been even for me to sit here and, and talk with you um, really helps me want to open up a, as well. And um so many people I, I, I know um, follow you. You've given us a great gift to have a conversation that I think we don't want to have and it's time to have it. And it's been an undercurrent running around for all of us for a very, very long time. And, and, and here we are. And um, you're helping us see that. That's the, for me, a film is, is I'm visual. I can see it. 
and and it and it gives us something to work from from something that we oftentimes think we can't feel or see. And even your Avengers, you know, I, I want to ask: is is there a common theme with the the heroes and the superpowers of Avengers, and and what people will see in Cherry? Oh no! I was just going to point out that, like, certainly, certainly, uh, the subtitle of the movie could be uh, "Spider Man's Not Coming," but. Uh, Oh, no. Well, this is great. I like it. Spider-Man's not coming. Superman's not coming. But you're coming. We the people, you are coming. (laughs) Sorry, I was just going to say those Avengers films, the thematics that we infused in those, you know, what what we try to do is put put issues into our movies that are affecting us or things that we're thinking about. Um, either, you know, life issues um, or, you know, more immediate modern issues. But they were about, you know, the uh, Infinity War and Endgame were about, um, are, are we predestined or, or through, um, through force of will, can we overcome predestiny? And ultimately, those movies are about the fact that you can, through force of will, overcome predestiny. You know, it may cost you, wow. right? It may cost you. You may have to sacrifice tremendously to overcome fate, but you can do it. And, and so I do think that Cherry, there is a, a similar through line in Cherry that, you know, it, there, it may cost you. But through, you know, through, through course of will, you can correct, you can course correct your life. Um, um, and wow. that really you know, ultimately what leads to hope, right? Because you're either saying we live in a hopeful world or we live in a fatalist or there's a fatalist vision of the world, right? And and we, as we said, made this movie for our children as a way to embrace a hopeful future rather than a fatalist future. Wow. I, that, that's so, I, I'll be thinking about that rest of the day. And you saying you making it for your children makes me think of something I just want to th- throw out here um, is uh, L. Frank Baum and why he wrote the book, The Wizard of Oz, which was for his children to teach them the power of individualism and helping them think and act for themselves based on a world that would increasingly begin to do that for you. That feels so weird, but that that storytelling for the sake of the children um, created the Wizard of Oz. And a message at the end of the film, Wizard of Oz, was we can always find our way home because we have not only a brain and courage, but we have heart. And um, you've done that. You just did that. And you just said that um, quite successfully uh, to teach through filmmaking. Uh, and he did it in a way of a fairy tale. You've done it in the way of superheroes and uh, bringing the truth of Cherry for us to see and realize we too can have hope, have courage, and we can find our way home. Thank you. Thank you. We're not going to say it any better than that. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah. Okay, Anthony and Joe Russo, amazing. I cannot say enough great things. And I want everyone, please, to see the film Cherry. Cherry will be released February 26th theatrically and March 12th will be available on Apple Plus. 
Also, if you know anyone struggling from mental health or substance abuse issues, please call 1-800-273-8255, Veterans Crisis Line, and go to justiceforvets.org. Please know there is help. There is always hope. The film Cherry is emotional, insightful, and I hope you see it. And again, a tremendous thank you to Anthony and Joe Russo. 